Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth, human performance, and culture change. This is your host, Philip Grison. Thank you for joining me on this path. I hope you enlighten others along the way. Hey, everybody. We've got my friend Rob McKinney here again. I think this is number two for Rob, but uh, um, always enjoy the conversations with him. And I think we did the human performance talk last time, but now we're tackling something totally different, and it's mental health and construction. So, hey, Rob, how you doing? Doing awesome, Philip. Appreciate the time to come talk to you a little bit about, let's just be honest, a very large purple elephant in our room. That's right. The side eye, right? We always get the side eye with this topic. Why do we get the side eye? Well, I think because we are pushing on a cultural issue that honestly, in the construction space, and arguably a lot of spaces, people are not quite ready to openly talk about. It hits home, but it is definitely difficult to talk about the mental side of things. Um but it's definitely something, you know, without going into the numbers, uh, if you've looked at the numbers, they're not real good, but they're definitely, to me, a, a clear indicator that we have a lot of work to do in our industry, for sure, when we start talking about the loss of life, either the accidental or, you know, intentional is probably too strong of a word, but man, there's definitely room in our industry to really open up this idea of talking about mental Mental anything without people getting so weird about it and upset or, uh, I do see a lot of people where, you know, those energy deflectors, the minute I, the word mental comes out of my mouth, I can feel the energy in the room shift. I can see people literally kind of shut down or the phones, you know, the phones come out or they get distracted really quick because they don't want to talk about mental anything. That's right. You know, I think there's kind of three things that um, I hope we accomplish today. And and one is that resistance that we're kind of leading into. Um, the other thing, I, I hope we talk a little bit about how our workplace systems can actually influence and be a casual factor for some of the mental health issues that people go through. But I um, also definitely want to get into what do we do about it. Um, so, you know, what, where are we at? Where we we know from CDC data that construction has the second highest suicide rate of any industry, and it's more fatalities than the entire focus for combined. All right. So that, that's why we're talking today, right? Um, right. But I think we, we, we're going to start with resistance. And, um, you know, I get that too. I, I just a week ago was teaching a class and the whole mental health thing came up and someone was like, well, I want to know, did it happen on the job site or not on the job site? And and just trying to, was it really construction or was it a personal thing? Um, and, you know, that resistance, you know, you've, you've talked about it before, you and I have discussed this, that there is that long history of don't show any emotion, any weakness. And, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking about that, how you were mentioning that, that I'm you know, my grandfather w- was always get those shoulders back, present mm-hmm. yourself as strong. Um, my mom, you know, made statements like walk with authority, like, you know, exactly where you're going, even if you don't have a clue. And, and we, I, we were taught that. I mean, were you taught that same kind of attitude? 
Yep. Show no weakness. Never cry in front of other men. You know, and that mantra, a lot of us have heard, you know, fake it till you make it. Yeah. But at the same time, it seems like we're we're at a, a moment in time now that people are more open to talking about mental health. I mean, it, it, go flip on social media and there's all this offer this training, these podcasts, these, these webinars that you can join to, to learn about it, you know, terms like life coaching and mindfulness and all that stuff's pretty popular today. So it seems like one, we've still got all that lingering resistance in the construction industry that comes from history, but at the same time, it does appear like we're in a shift where a lot more people are open to talking about it. I would agree. There is a, a shift in our country's culture and fabric, but definitely in in construction. And it seems like, for whatever reason, it is probably linked to COVID. You know, it was a horrible thing to go through in the pandemic, but it ripped a lot of Band-Aids off a lot of things that now we have to openly address. And mental health was definitely one of those ones that I think popped up really quick where, you know, a lot of the people in the field, it, it changed and impacted a job site, but work still occurred, right? You're on a site, maybe you're six feet apart, you're wearing masks and respirators and doing everything you can. Well, the office, that was a whole different ballgame when they shut down offices for 12 months and everybody went virtual from their house it was something I observed that was very interesting where I had been working in a remote office since 2015 and traveling constantly. Like I kind of got used to that lone wolf work mode, right? But when you go from being in the tribe at your office all the time to home, which by the way, who was home with you during all that time? The family, the kids, the dogs, the cats, you know, there was a lot of chaos there that it probably boiled a lot of issues to the top really quick that, okay, now I, I might need to talk to somebody about some of these things. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier to get along when we go to work every day. Right. Right. Space. Right. You know, okay. So like, let's just get right into some of this. Then um, COVID happened, external factor, right. Mm -hmm. And on all, all the other little things you threw in there that, that came with it. But you know, like in, in the, in the mental health world, life doesn't happen to us. It happens for us, right? Mm -hmm. it, it happens for us. So we go through those hard things and, um, you know, we, we grow our wisdom, our, our emotional intelligence, all those things through that experience. But that concept isn't overly popular in our world. There's still mm -hmm. a lot of this person triggered me and this person's doing this. So I have the right to be angry where um, you know, I think of just a recent conversation with my daughter. I was telling her, look, well, one of the keys to life is understanding that the minute some external factor creates negative emotion in you, your job is to process that and get better at managing that. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you're a victim to anything that could happen at any given moment. And, 100%. Right. And, and so, you know, I think there's still a large population that I don't know, maybe doesn't understand the depth of that concept or, mm -hmm. or the how to do it. 
and then combined with all the voices that, well, you know, I, I have the right to be unhappy because of inflation or who the politician is or, or whatever, but no, mm-hmm. those things are supposed to happen for us. And, and you know, I, I would love to get into that. One of my deepest connections to you is you and I both had a moment in our career where we thought we had heart problems and, you know, th- I would love to hear more details of yours and I'll share mine that, you know, I'd, I thought I had this heart problem and long story short, it was a panic attack, right? It was panic attacks, Uh plural, and I'm getting chest x-rays and all trying to find what's wrong with my heart. And then this one doctor after going through several says, Oh, um, maybe you have anxiety. And Mm -hmm. uh, because there was no physical evidence of anything wrong with my heart, but that happened for me. And I think that moment in time, open the door to, I want to search out something other than what's wrong with me physically, you know, meds are good for some people and all that, but no, what's the mental thing. And that opened the door to just so many great teachings that are already out there and basically led to this, you know, I'm, I'm not my thoughts. I'm the one who observes those thoughts and all that panic attack stuff was something going on in my brain. And you had a similar experience. So would you share a little bit about your heart issues or supposed heart issues? You know, the mind is an amazing, powerful thing that what the mind really wants, it almost can literally create. So after I'd left construction and I was doing the technology thing and speaking thing and traveling the country, it was almost like I was on autopilot of just this insanity level speed. So when I was part of the contact crew traveling all over the place in these events and jumping time zones, and as it kind of started taking a toll on my body, because, you know, what I learned over four or five years of traveling hard was I don't like shifting time zones very much. My body, for whatever reason, is not resilient enough to move in, you know, going one hour wasn't bad, but those West Coast trips where you're shifting three time zones and, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm thinking it's time for dinner. What specific time? No, or you're waking up at 2 a.m. So I didn't really pay attention to the body signs first of, you know, shifting the body, moving around in sleep, getting messed up. And no disrespect to any conferences, but, you know, conference food is not the healthiest, (laughs) right? And so I was trying to, you know, take some of my own food on the road. And so not sleeping well, nutrition, a little questionable. And, you know, the first couple of years, there was a lot of temptation with alcohol. You know, you're out at these free events and, you know, as many drinks as you want, right? Uh, so I'd kind of come up, a lot of the people, the contact crew started joking about, you know, the guru's rules of we can't drink on the road, no brown liquor. We got to be in bed by a certain time. And it was all cause I kind of was going through some things and trying to put some guardrails in place, but not really quite getting it. And the first time I had a heart episode, I was standing in a coffee shop with some of the guys. And I remember one of them turned to me and said, man, you look really white. You Okay. And I looked at my Apple watch and my heart was pinging, you know, it's like 56, 73, 102. Like my heart rate was all over the place. And then, so I sat down, like, it was the first time I ever felt weird. Like I, I can't put a, a description on it, 
So they thought, man, you're having a heart attack. Well, I wasn't having any sign, the traditional signs, but I didn't feel right. I was pale. My heart was all over the place. And, you know, we're on the road. So you're going to laugh, dude. We call an Uber to take me to the hospital. And it's the first time I went through this process. And the doctors basically said, you know, they did the x-ray, the EKG, like they do everything. They're like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're probably just stressed out. But my mind didn't want to believe that. And it happened a couple of more times. One time I was uh, in Kansas City and I was just about to get on a plane. And so again, you know, is it a physical manifestation? I'm sitting there at the jetway and this time I physically felt it. Like it felt like my heart was going to jump out of my chest. I was a little nauseous. And dude, this is how out of whack I was with my thinking. I, the thought that I had was, oh, I don't want to go to a hospital here. If I'm going to do it, I'm, I need to go home to Atlanta and go to a hospital. So stupid Rob gets on a plane and gets pressurized, you know, 30,000 feet. Dude, I thought I was going to die on that plane. My body was, the stress just went through the roof. The attendants came by and they recognized something wasn't right. And they wanted to put the plane down. Uh, wow. in like Nashville. And I, and I begged him. I'm like, no, 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 no. Keep it going. I, I'll make it. Keep it going. Well, long story short, the next thing I really remember was the, uh, the paramedics pulling me off the plane. Wow. And pulling me into a, uh, a little office at the jetway and they were calling my wife and my parents and I got taken to the hospital. So let's say I had five of these over several years. The first four, I didn't want to get the memo. And I would go back and look at the notes that I typed into my phone and the ER doc literally is telling me the same thing every time. It was number five that something in my brain finally got the memo and said, you got to quit doing this. You know, I'm just, here I am relating to you again. The first time I realized it wasn't a heart thing, that it was a mental thing, I was in California on a work trip. So here, there's some, we don't need to go to California anymore, right? I mean, there, there's no, um, yeah. but, but yeah, I get it. Cause I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the shift in circadian lows and all that. When we go out of town, of course, that's going to have an effect on our mind. Um, but you know, you were talking about the alcohol and, you know, a couple of things, I, I think we do have a history of especially men suppressing emotion with alcohol or drugs mm-hmm. and you know it, it just makes me think and look i've done that too in my past and and um get it i understand there's a cultural thing there sometimes it's heredity that you know we had family members that did the same thing and we model it but um you know when we do that one we're resisting dealing with the underlying mental issue in the first place and so what's the result of that? The resistance makes it stronger mm-hmm. and, and, and it just grows and grows and can't explode. But then, you know, the, the other thing that I'm, I forget where I read this, but when you drink alcohol, it can have an effect on your heart, like a couple palpitations or something like that about 24 hours after you drank. And, and so like, you'll see these people on these work trips and, and maybe they're sober during the day they go drink after work and then approximately, you know, 24 hours later or 12, I might have the number wrong. Now they're feeling these heart palpitations 
which combined with the the anxiety, and then we're going to add some heart palpitations from the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, no wonder they're having some mental health struggles, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, it's it's definitely a tough one. You know, you said one other thing too. Um, you know, there's this weird thing with the brain where. I, I touch the hot stove, I feel the burn, it sends the message to my brain, there's pain. But it's so weird that our brain can do it the opposite way, that we can think a thought in our mind that actually creates a physical feeling like increased heart rate in the body, right? Yep. And yep. we did that to our, you know, kind of did it to ourselves unless we learn to control it all. Absolutely. The last one, number five, I still vividly remember laying there in the chair in the living room, kind of writhing around, staring at my Apple watch, you know, checking my pulse, telling my wife it's happening again. And she was trying to talk me off the ledge, but my mind was just reeling because I didn't know how to control it. You know, I'd gotten so out of whack with that anxiety that to your point, you know, I'd hidden it for years a couple people kind of knew I had some, you know, hot mess things going on, but a lot of it, I just kept deep down buried inside of denial, really, you know, of like, I don't have anxiety. I'm not, you know, I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. Yeah, right, dude. I was a raging hot mess. It wasn't until that, you know, that fifth one that I got the memo and then finally started talking to people like in my circle of trust. I was letting a few people know who then told me about their issues and how long they've had them. And as I started trying to look around for, you know, resources, I got connected first with a hypnotherapist that was an amazing dude, kind of like my Yoda of just trying to, you know, reach into that really murky brain to figure out like what is causing your anxiety. And he helped me identify like three or four like major triggers that i I'm still working on, but I've got them, let's say I've got them better under control. But even there, he was one of the first people that was really talking to me about that whole brain body connection of really understanding that what you're, what you're saying is, you know, when my mind would get so spun out, you know, the brain was triggering the heart. That's why the, yes. the rate was going up. And I can go back in my mind to remember how many times I was just shallow breathing so long. So then I started basically, I was hyperventilating because I kept telling the doctors, you know, I, when, when, when I'd had the episode, I would feel like I had pins and needles in my fingertips and toes, you know, every time. And I'm looking at my notes, like, this is what I'm telling them. They're like, you're not breathing. Take <laughs> breath. And I'm like, no, I'm breathing. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're not breathing. Right. And so, you know, that first therapist really helped me with that. And then one of my good buddies, Chad Pearson, you know, he's talked about this topic a lot. And we brought him down to AGC Georgia to do some some topics. He was one of the first ones. I remember seeing him at a conference uh, maybe two months after my, the last one. And I've been reaching out to him, but, you know, until you sit down next to a human, you know, face to face and you can kind of be like, all right, so here's, here's what happened. This is what I'm dealing with. And he was showing me right there. All right. Okay. I want you to try this type of breath. And he's like, this is how, how often to do it, how long to do it, when to do it. And so I finally was able to recognize and come to terms, say I have anxiety, right? That's step one. I, I'm acknowledging the problem myself. 
Step two, I'm telling myself, well, I don't want to keep doing this. I want to get better. You know, it's kind of like the AA model in some ways of acknowledging, coming to terms with it. And then how do I get, how do I stop doing this? And as I started talking to other people and hearing more people talking about, you know, they do focus breath work or, you know, really kind of going back into meditation and trying a lot of things, uh, 12 months in is when I finally started to kind of feel like I had control over it because I'll still get the the signs. Now I know what they are though, right? Like I have a physical tell in my throat. The minute I start feeling that, I know like, it's kind of like my speedometer. I'm like, I'm redlining. I'm like, nope, back down. And I tried to put some things together and I kind of had this weird, like, mental toolkit of, you know, one person told me this and another person told me this. So I kind of had these things together, but it wasn't cohesive. And, uh, man, it's something I still am researching to really understand this, this, there's this concept you and I are talking about of mental fitness training, you know, or cognitive fitness training. What does that really mean? And I've really been diving deep, you know, selfishly, cause well, I shouldn't say selfishly, you know, self-servingly I'm doing it for myself and trying to help at least normalize the conversation because like we talked about, you know, in the construction industry, as soon as you say mental, as soon as you get the meh out of your mouth, <laughs> your meh, mouth. <laughs> you know, you can just, I sense the energy shift in the room. You can see people's faces change, their tones. And even in our safety circles, you know, in our safety circle of trust, I still am getting a little bit of side eye of, you know, this is not for us to deal with and what am I supposed to do? And I don't know how to handle this, but we do know going back to the the numbers you talked about, for those that haven't looked at it, you know, the five to one ratio that you may hear is in in our industry in construction, unfortunately, there's around a thousand deaths a year. Those are the accidental deaths, thousand too many, but this five ratio is, well, there's around 5,000 deaths by suicide or overdose or alcohol, self-inflicted means because they are generally tied to some kind of mental issue. And our country has not done a good job, you know, in my humble opinion, to say, you know, here's a 50-year-old citizen that says, I wasn't exactly told in the educational system or my family's system or social or anyone really about that it's okay to not feel okay and to be open to getting help, man. There's, I don't know how we do like a public service announcement message on that or a campaign, but it, it's a big issue to tackle in our country. So it's just to be able to talk about it and say mental anything without people freaking out. You know, I've just so many good thoughts. So I'm, I am thankful for all the negative energy I've had to deal with in the safety profession, because it's the thing that really developed my emotional intelligence better than anything else. And and so it was a gift and a curse all at the same time. Um, You know, one thought too is this, we keep getting into the side eye and how, how people can react. You and I both searched out, techniques we wanted skill sets on on how to manage mental health issues but mm-hmm. we did it in the middle of suffering and so mm-hmm. I, I think that's where where it can be a struggle is that when everything's going fine and I'm getting my paycheck and my bills are paid and all that kind of well people aren't searching out 
mental health skills. It, it's always when they're laying in the floor with the bottle of bourbon or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they search those things out. And, and so th- there's always going to be that challenge that, I mean, why do people need this? I'm fine in my world. But then life happens to you and maybe later on, maybe it's not the right moment for them. But that, that's always a challenge there that there are some people that they're not, they're not, the life isn't going well for them right now and they need yep. some help, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing, and yes, our, our culture um, has, I don't know, a sugar-coated way to say it, but it, it kind of points to a, a lot of times, let's go take some kind of pill and, oh, it was prescribed, so it must be good. But sometimes those things, I think, are treating symptoms instead of the deeper root issues of how do I process emotion, right? And and yeah, I wish they taught this stuff in kindergarten, but it, it, that's the culture we live in. So it's on us, right? It's on us to get that message out there, resistance and and kicking and screaming and everything that comes with it. Man, this leads me to one of the concepts that our, our new friend Seth Hickerson talks about of there is a substantial difference in treatment and training, because to your point, I had the, the medical professionals offered me different prescriptions of this, that, or the other, that from my research of talking to people and my family and friends that are taking them, I've, I see what was explained as the benefit, but I also see the byproduct of what happens to them with these medications. Now, I do know a few people that definitely need their medications because some people do have chemical imbalances. There, there's some people, let's just say their biology is not right. And That's right. they do need those medications and, and certain forms of treatment, and it helps them to live a healthy life. But I do know a lot of people that, you know, we we're talking, I was joking about how much bourbon I've drank. I know other people that they take pills like Tic Tacs. That's like right. candy. And they, you know, from my perspective, they're just numbing themselves. And that was one thing. If that's cool for them, great. If that's how you get through it, you know, it's really hard to step back and take your ego out of this whole mental thing and not judge other people. But for me and for you, right, we were like, no, that, that's not what I'm looking for. You know, I, I'm recognizing that I'm not thinking right. You know, if we think about like you talk in some of your talks, you know, we think about our brain as a computer. My brain's malfunctioning. It's self-inflicted, right? Like I poured a cup of coffee on myself. Something ain't right. I got to kind of work on this. And so as I was looking for different programs, you know, a guy like uh, Seth Hickerson's got his program on this mental fitness training. So I started, you know, tuning in, hearing other thought leaders, you know, researching the topic of understanding. All right. So when we're saying mental fitness training or cognitive training, what, what are we talking about of how to, you know, retrain your brain to your point of the main thing for me was handling negativity. Cause yeah, man, if we're talking about construction and we really kind of niche down and we talk about our safety professionals, I cannot think of a group of working professionals in, in our industry, let alone others that deal with more negativity on an hourly basis than a safety pro. Cause you're, you're doing and I remember wearing that badge of honors as a safety professional as a noble call that I, my job was to help protect humans, protect life and limb. That's my job. It was a badge of honor. But as you're trying to do this noble act, and especially, man, let's be honest, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you were told you were number one 
where to go, how to get there. It was the most bizarre mental thing to be trying to do a positive act of love and kindness to protect somebody and then be told, you know, F you, screw you. <laughs> Why are you slowing me down? That's right. So, you know, cost you're trying job. to be, right. you're trying you're to be positive job. and you're getting literally the hater aid thrown in your face by That's the people right. that you're trying to make sure like, I don't want you to fall off this building and die. I don't want you to spray chemicals in your eye and go blind. So as I've really been diving into it and sharing this with our safety community, that's, that is a, an odd group to say, Hey, we're trying to do a positive thing. And all day long we deal with negativity and, you know, some of us deal with it better than others. I didn't deal with it well for 15 years. I'm the first person to ever be transparent and say, I did not deal with it well, but I didn't know any better. Or, you know, we really get into the deep, dark stuff, man. We talk about mental health in general the talk that I'm having now with, with the pros, you know, is step one, you know, we're talking about mental fitness. That's kind of like for you, the individual, when we talk talking about this mental health, how do we help our fellow workers? Wow. There's just not a lot of training and options for the construction community as a whole, but specifically uh, our safety brothers and sisters of, you know, I've got four or five really vivid memories from being a safety director, somebody coming up to me way back in the day and telling me the deep, dark thoughts that they were having and what they were, you know, thinking of doing. And man, in 2003 and five, I didn't know what to tell somebody. Right. You know, you go back and talk about it at the office and HR didn't know what to do. I mean, it was, it was a weird time. Even again, arguably five years ago, pre-COVID, I think our culture and our fabric looked at these issues wholly different and uh, it's changing. You know, okay. So I'm, you know, here comes Philip again, the system, right? It's the system, the system. And and I think that the, that this is a concept, this whole mental health thing where, where we do need to focus on the people, all the training. And, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. Um, I got to say this, every single culture assessment we do where a worker talks about the company needs to address mental health is in the context of fatigue and work-life balance. And, and so it's always that, um, you know, something like that, the hours we work haven't been home in, in this many days and, and, uh, my wife's leaving me. And so, yes, I think that, we're not going to work nine to five tomorrow. And, and that is true. But if, if we, all we do is focus on the worker as a mental health cog to be fixed and we totally skip the influence that our system is contributing to that mental health issue. Like, okay, so what's your fatigue management plan? And they look at you again with the side eye. Well, that is contributing to it. Right. So I think I'm, um, all the stuff we're talking about is good, and, and I I do love that. I know we're getting the side eye, but still, it seems like people are so much more open. I mean, I hear OSHA talking about suicide. I, I hear safety people talking about it, and you know, here's where you can go to get help. And, and the training effort that you guys are doing is a wonderful thing. But I think we also need to balance that with some defenses on how our work life balance fatigue issues are actually contributing to this. And I want to throw one more of that, that, you know, we go work 14 hours a day or whatever, and how many hours it takes to go home. 
you can't do that without some kind of drinking Red Bull too much coffee. And and then we, we talk about people on opioids and all. Well, we had a system where you just can't physically stay awake that long without some kind of substance. And so are we just going to be like, oh, well, look, they're just on Red Bull and we're all happy now. But maybe somebody is much more susceptible to doing methamphetamine and part of it is the system influence that, right? So we've got to address mm-hmm. that part too. But um, anyway, there's that rant. Let's say, I know you've got some um, training and and how it can be beneficial, not just at work but at home too. And uh, anything you want to share on the the training options coming up, and and maybe some specific techniques or anything. There's one concept I love to put out there to see. If it has legs, I was talking with a guy named Joe over at a, a company called Headversity. Headversity is an online training platform that really specializes in uh, mental health, mental fitness. And as he and I were talking about this a couple months ago, he gave me a, a, a concept that I found fascinating that I think our uh, the safety professionals need to explore first to share with leadership. And I think it'll hone into what you're talking about the system. He said, Rob, you know, the construction industry is really good at PPE. You know, you've got personal protective equipment for everything, right? From head to toe, they're covered from stilt-toe boots to these new safety helmets, goggles, fill in the blank. But when we talk about the mind, what we've been honing in on, right? What do you offer to protect the mind? And I said, well, in our industry, oof, there's not a lot. And he offered this concept, PPM personal protective mindset. You know, if we think of the traditional hierarchy of controls, you know, from engineering, administrative, all the way down to PPE, this is almost, I don't know if we would tuck this below PPE or if it's above it, but what are companies doing to create and implement into their system the process, personal protective mindset of what is it like to work in what can arguably be a grueling industry? I mean, it can be rewarding. You get to work outside. You get to move around. You know, you're not strapped to a desk all day. But yeah, you know, to do that eight, 10-hour day, sometimes there's a two-hour drive on the front, two or three-hour drive on the back, a little bit of food issues, the sleep issues. So how can we take that concept and inject it into what you're talking about? When we talk about the system and the process, we're great at PPE. We've got assessments and there's vendors and it's kind of accepted now. I mean, the helmets is kind of, it's, it's interesting to kind of watch the debate about helmets because it always, dude, as bad as this is going to sound, with any new PPE, it normally kind of the resistance comes down to, well, how much does that cost? Right. With mindset, right. it doesn't have to cost a lot. You know, if you're valuing the human and the mind, that's an interesting thing. But then, so how do you do that? How do you train humans of developing a personal protective mindset? Uh, kind of some of the stuff that you and I are talking about of, man, I can remember so many times on a site, you know, getting yelled at, cussed out by the superintendent, the general superintendent, the PM, fill in the blank, and then you get in the truck and you're just mad. Like, I'm just trying to do my job and they're, you know, telling me to get lost and you go to the next job and, you know, have that happen three or four times in a day. It kind of, you get compound interest because I didn't have a way back then to sit in the truck and let's think for one thing now, what, what, uh, Seth's been teaching us through this, my steady mind course he's got, he calls it BAMO. That is an acronym where he is teaching breath work and it stands for breathe and move on. 
It's a battle cry. It's a mantra. It's a way of thinking. It's not just sit in your truck and take a breath. And, you know, when people say, just take a breath, calm down. Well, you know, you kind of really got to understand the mechanics of what a breath actually is doing between some of the work that, Philip, you've been talking about, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Like, well, okay, this is what a breath really does when you execute it properly. But who's teaching anyone in construction that, hey, when you get mad, when you get yelled at, when you get upset, you know, go sit in the truck, go sit in the cab of a piece of equipment. I mean, hell, as bad as it sounds, go to the go to the Connex box or porta potty, but go somewhere and take a four second breath in through your nose, counting, and then blow out that four second breath again. So counting in one, two, three, four, and then blow it out one, two, three, four to mentally pause yourself to try and calm down versus just building that powder keg of emotion and building and building and building. And I'll tell you, you know, in my case, you know, you'd build it to a certain point. And then it pops. You pop it enough times, you know, I'll tell you, I have physical manifestations from it that, you know, the the medical doctors can't explain it, but I've got certain things that are just never going to be the same because I just let that stress build up and eat at me because I would just stuff it down inside. I didn't have a release like a breath or sitting in the truck again, a five minute meditation of you know, the term is generally called like a body scan of just thinking through where my tense, you know, for me, when I get stressed out, I feel it right between my eyes. Like I get this little headache and it's, and it just comes on instantaneous, but man, sometimes it can last for hours, but I'm still working through of understanding how to make that go away. But it's coming from this training of having somebody that understands the mind, how it works with the body of trying to show our workers, you know, this could be, again, from the CEO to a safety director, to a lead foreman, to somebody running just a broom or a shovel. If when they get kind of spun up, how do they control themselves through what we talked about before? You know, I'm talking about the training side of things, this proactive training that, you know, we can't teach somebody breath work in one talk, one week, man. I've been deep diving this for about six months myself. You know, I kind of, I found somebody else that is a breath coach based up in Canada where I'm working with, with her of understanding when, you know, she's telling me how to breathe, you know, our first couple of conversations, I told her, you know, I'm doing these short breaths and they help control things. And she said, okay, well, that's a good start. And I want to show you what she considers breath work. And for me, man, that now in the morning is trying to do 10, 15, 20 minutes of just silent breath work all by myself before I do anything in the day. Right. And then at the end of the day, the same thing, but my squirrel mind, you know how my mind works, dude. It's hard for me to keep the squirrels at bay of them coming in there. And, you know, sometimes I'm counting or reading mantras, but it's that work learning from somebody else, how to train my mind. But more importantly, it's that internal discipline that I've made it a way of life of every day at some point I am training my mind at different levels that now I can tell you, you know, like today I woke up and the first thing was it, I tell myself it's going to be a great day. I knew, Hey, I'm going to have a cool talk with Philip today. That's going to be a good talk. I have another meeting in a couple hours where I'm trying to look forward to those positives and condition my mind to look for the positive. Not man, I'm, I used to be embarrassed, but I can, now I can tell you like, you know, back in the day, I remember waking up with that dread. I knew the job site I was going to go to. 
I knew a fight. I would anticipate a fight and it just starts building up because my brain wasn't trained in what I would say is a healthy manner, if that makes sense. You know, it, it definitely does. And and you, you've talked about a lot of, there's a lot of techniques out there, right? And and one that was kind of latching onto of what you were saying that, um, you know, some people do gratitude in the morning. Sometimes people purposely think positive thoughts, you know, underneath all that, our brain automatically searches out negativity, but we have to purposely search out the positive, it, 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 so, I mean, if you want if you want something to be negative about it, you, you just do nothing. It'll happen for you, right? That's right. But and it is that. Do I purposely search those things out? You know, um, that I do a one these days of um, what am I grateful for, either at night or in the morning, or sometimes both. But we have to search it out, and um, you know, there there's a lot of great techniques out there. Um, I want to talk about the, what what does an overall system look like to address all this and, you know, what does great look like? And then maybe we could get into some little micro doses of, of some things we could do. Um, I think that a great mental health organizational system would address the work-life balance and the fatigue, but also the person. And so inside of that, like all things, you know, if we had greatness, it would start with education and development at the C-suite level. Yeah, because if they're not on board, then you know none of this is. It's just going to be us trying to, you know, throw little ideas out there and people not buying into it. And like you said, all the side eye stuff that we get. Well, if it's the CEO saying that we're going to have a mental health system in our organization, then there's no more side eye or not. We're still going to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. Um. So can we not just train, but develop, right? Because we got to do the practices, right? And do they participate? But then inside of that, can can we create some internal champions? And and that's where I think some train the trainer ish type of mm-hmm. courses can help a lot. Um, because it, you know it can't just be the safety people. I and mean, we got to have some other people out there teaching these breathing techniques, or or what's a meditation that works well for you, or searching out the positive, or gratitude, mm-hmm. or whatever these exercises are that we do. But then, you know, below that, I, I think um, there's a lot of ways we could microdose it. And one I was thinking about, I think you and I were the ones talking about this, that, you know, there was a time where uh, everybody gave us the side eye on stretch and flex, yeah. right? That, oh, oh, what is this, you know, dorky stuff we're doing over here? But n- now it's just kind of normalized, right? Like all things, whether, whether it's the the new helmets or stretch and flex, we're always going to get that resistance. But then over time, it's funny how we just kind of normalize it and then mm-hmm. people just accept it. And so, yeah, we could, we, if we're doing stretch and flex all, all day for the outside body, right? Like you were getting into, but could we have some internal champions leading a breathing exercise as yeah. part of the stretch and flex? Right. And and I, I think who's leading it matters because, I mean, when you were talking about breathing techniques, I remember you were thinking, yeah, it's the right kind of technique because you can do it wrong and it actually can and increase anxiety and negative emotion, Correct. right? Yep. But uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Are you going to add twos on, on what a great system looks like, maybe some micro doses that we could do? Well, there's a new concept coming out and – a few of our larger members, larger general contractor members, 
are actually putting a lot of work internally into their health programs, their mental health programs. One company actually has a wellness coordinator. It's the first time I've seen that. And I, I, I'd love to put this out there of if there's a construction company that has, you know, a wellness coordinator on staff or maybe part-time, or do you have a company that is that champion that is the one talking about sleep, nutrition, work-life balance, meditation, breathing, that's that champion that leads the company's efforts. Because one of the things that I've really noticed the past five or six months is the more I'm trying to really understand the mental health issue in our industry is when I'm talking to safety professionals, this is what I'm hearing 90% of the time is they have been voluntold, well, your safety you, you you deal with the workers, you know, you keep them safe. So you, you're going to handle this mental health thing. And they're telling me offline, I don't know what I'm doing. I was trained. <laughs> I've got my OSHA 500. I can teach a 30 hour. <laughs> I, I'm not a clinician. Right. I'm right. not a psychologist and they don't need to be because what you and I were talking about a couple of times they cannot deliver treatment. That's never going to work in our industry. Right. But they can deliver training. And sure. so that's where I think we're going to have to work with guys like Seth Hickerson or Sally Spencer Thomas. There's a few thought leaders that have some great content and some programs and training. And a lot of it can be online. But how do we get down to, again, when you're talking about microdosing, when we talk about like a daily short toolbox talk, what can we get down to either the craft level or I don't want to forget our people in the office, right? Because like estimating, that's a really stressful job. You know, bid day, I remember what bid day looked like. You want to talk about balloons popping, go to an office after a bid is lost or you won the bid and you realize how low you are and the numbers didn't match, right? So how do we find and create either these champions, these internal people at the company or find more resources. I think that's our journey the next 12, 24 months is normalizing that we're talking about mental health in a positive way. We're trying to find things and train people in the office, in the field, and find these things to your point that, all right, if we're going to talk about breath work, we do have to have some training because there are a lot of techniques that you and I worked on that are to calm the body down. Well, right. I've also been looking there's a lot of good breath work to pump the body up. You know, if you look yes. at athletes, they know this really well. They know how to, quote, get in the zone because right. someone's taught them, you know, this breath sequence raises the heart rate. It raises adrenaline, cortisol, like you're getting ready in that fight mode. Or what you and I have been looking at is, you know, I got adrenaline and cortisol coursing through my veins. I'm trying to back that pump down. So then there's the other, how to, you know, to, to reset and calm. But yeah, if you have someone teaching the wrong thing inadvertently, because they haven't been told of, no, 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 you know, these two breath sequences are to calm down when you're upset versus, you know, maybe in the morning, it's a good idea to try a couple of the ones that get you woken up rather than crushing three Red Bulls a day or six Starbucks, you know, you know, flooding your system with caffeine is not always the most sustainable thing either, because again, it, it is come back to that training where we got to find some programs, some things that work. And then how do we, for lack of a better term, constructionize it where we can say, okay, if we want people to understand that this breath, there's a way to pump you up, there's a way to calm you down. But how does that work? Or same thing with, with the meditation or even 
some of the yoga practices. There's, there's all these amazing things, but how do we, you know, talk about them in our terms and who at the company is going to deliver that? Um, somebody gave me a term the other day that I thought was very interesting. You know, instead of calling this mental fitness training, mental wellness, she said, Rob, it's really self-mastery. You're yes. teaching people to master their mind and body. And everyone's different, right? But you take those baseline things and train them. Now, how do you apply it to your body? You know, this concept of self-mastery, maybe that's the better route we take in construction terms of just trying to teach people, you know, you know, step one can maybe be, this is how your brain works. You know, it's kind of what Seth does with his course. You know, how does the brain work? What you talked about at the beginning of our conversation today, how do you reply and respond to stimulus? You know, when negative comes to you, are you responding back with negative or are you trying to, you know, reply with positive as you go through these other things? It's, I think it's kind of a brave new world. It's an exciting world in some ways of thinking about how do we help our construction professionals with self-mastery to be better humans, you know, at work. But then one of the things you mentioned before, the byproduct, if you go home and have a happy life, it's, it's all kind of wrapped up together. We spend so much time at work during the week and you try and transition out of work person to family or friend person. It's something I still struggle with of how do you, how do you shift those mental models? And what if you had a rough day at work? I can tell you, taking that rough day at work home generally creates a rough night at home. Not, you know, it doesn't magically turn into a good night. It's man. But again, it's that self mastery of the brain is looking like you're saying for these negative things. I'm now trying to make my mind look for the positive things and share those. And especially going home, man, there's, there's so many downsides to taking negativity home from work. You know, and, and well, and the, the flip it around of the positives that everybody struggles with something. And if we're out here educating, developing people to manage their own brain, right? We're getting better at managing our own brain. Um, I mean, all that stuff I've learned, I'd teach to my daughter and family and friends. And, and you know, our, if we share these concepts at work, some of those people are going to take them home to their family when they're struggling and share with them on how to help them. Right. Oh, so there's yeah. definitely that benefit. Uh, you know, one thing I was going to mention, and, and this is just an observation that I'm, um, you know, it, it, it's back to that. Are you a Zach Bryan fan or a Slipknot fan? But it, it's kind of funny how um, some people will latch on to one thought leader style mm-hmm. and and the other person just doesn't want to hear it at all but they they mm-hmm. latch onto another one so one thing i love that you're doing at agc is you're you're testing out all these different things and i think what's going to happen is you're going to have some of your groups going to latch onto one style some's going to latch onto another and that's good too which i, I think if, if we take that that's why we need champions plural right because we're going to have all these unique personalities that teach concepts in a different way uh, you know one person's going to teach meditation as sit in a chair and another one's going to teach it as what's the layers of sound you hear on the job site and mm-hmm. and, and neither one is good or, or is bad they're both mm-hmm. good but different people will latch on to different breathing techniques meditation thought work all those little practices 
So the more of them I think that we have to teach out there and the more people delivering the message, um, the more people will help. A hundred percent. It's uh variety. What's the old phrase? Variety is the spice of life. You know, yes. we've had, we've been lucky to have guys like Brent Darnell around our association for years. He's been talking about emotional intelligence and some of this mental training for over a decade. Yeah, We've got new people that we found such as Mike Luster helping us with the mental health awareness. You know, we found Seth Ickerson. I just found uh, an interesting lady over in Savannah that does work in cognitive training for teams, uh, Deborah Peters. Yeah. So yeah, we're trying to find multiple different voices, different coaches. You know, it's it's almost like kind of a buffet, right? We've got different people that have different things that we're saying we believe it's all positive and not all of us are gonna work for everybody, but if we can find those little pieces, those little nuggets, shall we say? Right. Yes. Can that start opening the door? Can the snowball kind of start? And normalize again that we're, when we're talking about mental health, we're trying to talk about in a positive way of like, where is your state? Are you good? Not so good? Maybe kind of there? Do you understand, you know, what you can do to regulate it a little bit more? Or, you know, some of the practitioners that we're talking about, you know, it gets kind of into the Jedi mind tricks of if you're mastering yourself first, that's definitely the main goal, right? Like you got to be in control of you. But as you understand how to control you, how can you help influence others in a positive way? Because that's one thing that I've kind of seen. It's almost like the dark side, right? Of I remember I had several people in my career, they knew how to read people good. And they knew how to push my buttons, dude. They had the code perfect. They knew, you know, one, two, three, and I'd fly off the handle. Right. And then I'm blind, and not seeing. <laughs> I'm just saying, there are some people, right? right? And now of understanding, like when you understand yourself first, you can control yourself because really you should be in control of you. But when others are in control of you, that's when the bad things happen. And man, it took years to start realizing who these individuals were that, man, they had my number. They knew exactly how to push those buttons. And they did all the time to throw me off my game. Where, oh, man, where was all this training 15, 20 years ago to really remain steady in the face of chaos and, you know, the, in, in the face of, you know, just overwhelming heat and negativity? Well, this stuff would have been great 15, 20, 25 years ago. Or to your point, as a, as a child, so I have a 10-year-old daughter, and I've been working with her for the last two years about breath work. You know, when she was eight, I started trying to introduce the concept because my daughter, so my wife's a redhead, my daughter's a redhead. If you know much about redheads, you can read them like a book. Like they have no poker face because they literally flush. And when my daughter's mad, I know it because I can see, I mean, her skin pigment changes, her nostrils flare. Like she's got all of her mom's tails. And I'm trying to teach her like, hey, let's break the cycle, right? Your mom, this is how this goes. And I understand that. I'm trying to help her with, you know, unfortunately, Sweetheart, your tells are visible and people that are not, you know, people with negative intentions can play you like a fiddle because they know how to do it. And so two years in, she kind of is getting the breath work a little bit where I'll try and explain to her, it's, you know, when you go to school and if somebody's mean to you or says something or calls you whatever, you know, this is how to go in your mind and calm down so that you, the lesson I've been trying to work with her, because in school, right, if you get upset at school and yell at somebody or throw something or, 
these days, you know, even kick somebody in the shin, there's big ramifications. So I'm trying to right. teach it to her. But it is interesting trying to show 20, 30, 40 year old construction professionals like there are consequences to the words and the things you say and do. You know, how do you take that mental pause to always be in control of you? Because if somebody else is controlling you, it doesn't normally turn out well. You know, the, okay, so the awareness of all that definitely matters that I'm aware that this other person is triggering my own emotions. You mm-hmm. know, this, I actually had this conversation last night and, and, um, I think one key component of that too is to recognize that the person that's pushing your buttons is suffering too. Mm-hmm. And it's just some kind of display. And, and I don't mm-hmm. mean that as a judgment that they're inferior. I mean, having a little compassion that, that that there's a bunch of stuff going on in their brain and we're just observing the reaction to what's going on in their brain, not to right. judge, you know, as you're, I'm better than you or anything like that, but just having a little compassion, uh, you know, not letting it get to us or learning techniques is definitely important, but it's coming from their own suffering, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. they're not, if they were happy, they wouldn't be acting that way. All right, so um, let's see. We've got a uh, so we got Seth Hickerson next. Uh, I think next week we've got we're doing a podcast with Seth, and and he's going to awesome. go over some of his specific techniques there. Um, and so looking forward to that. And and uh, he he's got a discount for you guys at AGC. Do you want to mention any of that, Rob? He does. He has his online course, and so AGC Georgia members, he's got a discount code. It's AGCGA. Two five, so that's for twenty five percent off his online course. We're going to do a couple of webinars with him. Uh, we're trying to figure out some things because he offers a great online course. It's a nine part series that I went through. I've been leading a, uh, a small group through it now, and we're working with him to kind of do what you were talking about of how can we help take this course and microdose it, so to speak, of bring it down to the craft level, to the site level, even the office level. There's a few other people that we're looking at and trying to just really figure out how do we bring this mental fitness training or as uh, Deborah was talking about, the self-mastery. How do we bring this concept to construction, both the office side and the field side, and continue to bring in different thought leaders, different, you know, quote, subject matter experts. You know, we're, we're looking for the quote gurus that have some ways and just trying to keep share these positive means with people of how, how do you get better control of yourself to be the, the best human you can be for yourself, for your team, for your family, and really try and find some positive ways for people to see some benefit. Because like you said, man, that, that we're wired with that negativity and it is so easy to fall into that trap and to stay in that world of what's wrong and what happened to me. And it's not my fault. And why do they have it so much better? Where when you, when you get some of these techniques kind of in place and you can look at the beautiful things in your life and realize, well, Hey, let's stay. We wake up, you know, for most Americans, right? We wake up in America. We got it pretty good compared to a lot of the planet and we're in construction. So we have jobs and we can take care of ourselves and our family. And every day there's something to look for versus that negativity. You know, this, this concept of self-mastery, I think something we can keep exploring more and more Maybe it's, maybe it's the best way to market it. it. You know, we're still talking about trying to do mental training, mental wellness, how to live and be better. But if we take that quote, mental part off that, that stigma, that word that gets people so upset, Triggered. total trigger <laughs> word, right? Let's just say self-mastery. How do you be yeah. the best you, the best version of you? 
Right. And it does require training. It's not just one and done. It's not yeah. read a book. It's not listen to a podcast and overnight you wake up perfect. Cause I'm here testifying telling you know, 18, 16 months of hard work. I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better off than I was. That's right. I, I put in the reps every day. I, I do right. the things. Got it. Uh, that's it. Do the things. Yeah. Th- that's the thing is do the things, isn't it? That mm-hmm. I'm, you know, my therapist was, uh, you know, when she kind of kicked me out the door, she's like, that's, that's, no, I'm kicking you out the door, Philip, you do the things that, but we got to do the things. And, and yes, having some systems where we practice them out in the field, just like we did with stretch and flex, I, I think will help us do the things for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, Rob. Well, I think uh, m- maybe w- we can do one in the future and just go over some specific exercises and share some of that with the group. But, I think um, so. I, I definitely, what, what I love most about what you're doing is, um, you, you know, there's been this history of walk through this door if you have a problem, but your whole focus on, no, let's teach the tools. I think we really need that in our industry right now. So I'm um, once again, grateful for you and, and all the efforts you're putting out there. Hey man, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you for the opportunity just to share some ideas, share my story a little bit, and hopefully it inspires other people and leads to good things, positive things for other humans out there. All right, everybody. Well, uh, next time we'll have Seth Hickerson and he can share a lot about uh, uh, what he has to offer. And and, um, until then, hope you all have a mentally strong week. Hey there, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave me a review. If you want to connect further, reach out at leaderthink.com.